The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where Here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. If June 1st was any indication of the offense that we are going to get for the rest of the season, I think we're going to be just fine. Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball today on now Wednesday, June 2nd. A very late start. Thank you to everyone who is out here watching us live on YouTube. Frank Stanfield joined by Scott White. The number is 44. 44 home runs were hit on June 1st, which means... It ain't over either. It ain't over. That's that's correct, Scott. What there could is, be more. What is going on, man? Maybe they just swapped in the old balls. They didn't tell anybody, and and this is what we're gonna get rest of the season. That would, very welcome. It would be very welcome, Scott. Uh, yeah. I mean, maybe, but you know, June is. I, I mean, look, the the calendar flips from May thirty first to June first. I don't know what the temperatures were like across the country today but it's it's not like it's not like the thermostat turns up from one day to the next right uh but it is very much a normal thing for offense to rise with the weather and specific this this is something i wasn't aware of i mean you always heard that before it was just kind of one of those uh uh i don't know a truism i guess but I actually looked into it with the the disastrous April we saw for offense, specifically with regard to BABIP, where it was the league-wide BABIP in April was 283, when normally the league-wide BABIP is somewhere in the neighborhood of 295. So 283 is obviously way, way, way down. And, and that's really why offense was so pitiful in April. But it was up around 295 in May. I don't remember. I don't know exactly what it finished at, but it was a mu- much closer to a normal number in May. And really the the tendency for BABIP from season to season is it, it gets better every month until September. Then it goes down a little bit, which, you know, corresponds to, to, to temperature, right? Normally the biggest increase from one month to the next in BABIP is from May to June. That's normally the, the, that the, where, where that increase is the biggest from one month to the next. So as big of an increase as we saw in from April to May, and that was huge. Um, it's probably not going to be that big this year because I don't know what was going on with April. April, my suspicion is it was unseasonably cold. But as much offensive improvement as we saw in May, we should see even more. We, the offense should continue to improve in June. Obviously. The home runs you're talking about on June 1st, that's not explained by BABIP, but nonetheless, offense is going to get better. A very welcome sign. Hopefully, uh, things to come 
offense so far up very much so on June 1st. And I have the numbers we'll talk about a little bit later on. Scott, you referenced what things looked like in April. Now that May has been finalized, I have that. So we can compare that uh, to April. We compare April and May. We'll compare that to last season. Uh, Eno Saris wrote an article on The Athletic about the effects of the new ball. And he kind of comes to conclusions as to why we've had so many no-hitters. So we'll talk about that. Uh, We had some pitching regression, obviously, with all the offense that happened on Tuesday. Uh, Some lessons learned throughout the first two months of the season. We'll take a look at that. What is wrong with Juan Soto? Nothing. R-E-L-A-X. The guy is going to be just fine. He had a monster game on Tuesday. We'll talk about all that. But let's get things started with some of our biggest standouts. Oh, my goodness gracious. All right, Scott, where would you like to start? I would like to start with Luis Garcia. Luis Garcia, who <laughs> wasn't that long ago. People didn't know what Luis Garcia was talking about whenever I brought him up, right? Pitching for the Astros. How long was he going to keep that job? Who is he? Et cetera, et cetera. Well, Luis Garcia is really gaining a foothold in fantasy now because on a day when a lot, a lot of the pitchers who we didn't see coming regressed pretty hard. Luis Garcia took yet another step forward. Remember his previous start? It was his first six-inning start, and it was against the Dodgers, and it was great. Here on Tuesday, he has his first seven-inning start, and it's against an even better offense than than the Dodgers. It's against the Red Sox. It's against the Red Sox. The numbers for Luis Garcia in this start, in those seven innings, you know, as good as any of his other starts, one and run in seven, Struck out six, uh, but I believe even more impressive than the than the the strikeouts is that he had 19 swinging strikes, which you know his season long rate isn't otherworldly or anything. It's it's pretty good, uh, but to see him do that against uh, w- you know one of the best offenses in baseball, very impressive, very impressive. I think maybe Dusty Baker was onto something keeping him in the rotation over Christian Javier. Or maybe they're just trying to preserve Javier's innings. I don't know. But either way, Garcia's in the rotation right now. He's relief pitcher eligible. And he's getting it done even against great offenses. So if he's still out there in your league, I think that needs to change. And he might be available in some shallower leagues. He is 80% rostered, so I appreciate the people are listening to us, Scott. I've noticed a bunch of the players we've been talking about recently, their roster rate are jumping up rapidly. So Tommy Pham is someone who stayed hot on Tuesday, hit another home run. He's up over 70. I think he's close to 75% now. Tyler O'Neill, we spoke about the other day. He's someone that's been climbing over 70%. Same thing with Luis Garcia. Spoke about him last week after that great start against the Dodgers. Now back-to-back quality starts, his first two quality starts of the season. ERA is down to 2.72. The whip is 1.00. So I do wonder if at some point they're going to kind of jumble things around the rotation to preserve some guys' innings. You know, maybe Christian Javier jumps back in, but we'll worry about that when we get there. I have moved Luis Garcia inside my top 70 starting pitchers recently, and I think that's warranted with the way that he is currently pitching. For me, one of these seven players who had a double dong on Tuesday, Jonathan Scope. He had three hits, two home runs. He now has four multi-hit games in a row. The underlying numbers are not great for Jonathan Scope, but I think you got to point out the fact that he is playing as well as he is. He has second base, first base eligibility. More of a name for deeper leagues. I realize that if you play in a roto format with a corner infielder and a middle infielder, I think Jonathan Scope should probably be rostered in those leagues. He's only 20% rostered right now on CBS, Scott. What do you think about Jonathan Scope? 
Yeah, I, I think Jonathan Scope is pretty consistent from year to year. You know, he had that one huge year for the Orioles. Uh, I think he was a top five second baseman that year. And it kind of, yeah, he had 32 home runs, drove in 105. That was back in 2017. I think it kind of warped people's perception of him so that he could only disappoint from that point forward. But for the majority of his career, he's been a consistent 20 homer pace kind of guy with, with poor plate discipline. Granted, that's why he's not uh, standard mixed league material, but the, the power production is consistent and looks like it's coming around this year. Yeah, so he's kind of boring. Look, you know what Jonathan Scope is, but you ride him while he's hot right now, especially in those deeper leagues. So someone that you could look at, again, the name there, Jonathan Scope, and just give a shout out to two of the best hitters in baseball right now. This is going to be fun to watch all season long. Ronald Acuna versus Vladimir Guerrero Jr. for the home run lead. It's one guy hits a homer, the other guy hits a homer. Next day, same thing happens. Uh, they both hit their 17th home runs of the season on Tuesday. Acuna added two steals. That would be, what would that be, Scott? That would be a sock and two shoes. So, all right, we got to get another yeah. sock on there. That that would no. obviously help Ronald Acuna. Maybe it's a, yeah. What's a, what's a sockless shoe? Like a, like a flip-flop or a sandal? Or there's probably something better. There's probably an actual sockless shoe. Yeah, it's probably one of those weird... You ever seen, they're kind of like workout things where you put them on, they go between your toes too. Oh yeah, like it, it has, oh, it's, it's, so like a, it's like a foot glove. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I guess that's what it would be. Those are that's, super weird, man. <laughs> I don't know. I agree. Uh, anyway, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. went four for four with three more RBI. He's currently uh, on pace for 48 home runs and 127 RBI over the course of 150 games. So Acuna uh, and Vlad, two of the best hitters in the game right now for fantasy baseball purposes. Before we get to news and notes, international soccer returns as CONCACAF's top teams face off at the Nations League semifinals in Denver starting Thursday, June 3rd. The U.S. faces Honduras as the Americans, led by Christian Pulisic, look to take advantage of one of their most talented generations in history. Next, regional powerhouse Mexico squares off against Costa Rica as they look to set up a final showdown with their arch rival, the United States. Stream both semifinal matches live on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com slash Nations League to get started again. The URL is ParamountPlus.com slash Nations League. Lots of interesting things going on in the soccer world right now, and you can find it all at Paramount+. Plus. The news and notes from Tuesday. We had some very big names leave their respective games. Uh, Fernando Tatis left against the Cubs, and the last thing that I saw on Tatis was that he is dealing with oblique tightness. So it's not the shoulder, which I guess is glass half full, but obviously obliques can be very tricky. So we'll continue to update you on uh, Fernando Tatis there. Hopefully doesn't miss any extended time. Jose Ramirez left due to dehydration and Steven Strasburg was struck in the wrist with a comebacker, but was averaging just 89.9 miles per hour on his fastball before that. He just didn't look right. And now it comes out after the start that he set for an MRI on his trap muscle. So this is a, uh, a very rough year so far for Steven Strasburg past two years, really. So I uh, wonder if that 
deep run into the postseason where uh, the Nationals won the World Series. Uh, if it's had some lingering effects for Steven Strasburg, who's obviously uh, getting up there in age. Jack Flaherty is headed to the IL with an oblique injury himself, which he suffered while batting, which is obviously very frustrating because uh, we should have the universal DH at this point. Uh, manager Mike Schilt said it's going to, quote, be a while. So we lose one of the 15 best starting pitchers in baseball for who knows how long because we yeah. don't have a universal DH. I, I wouldn't expect to see him in the first half, the, the rest of the first half, I think. Uh, yeah. So that would bring us to about six weeks on the early end, which is the beginning of the second half of the season. Yep. Yep, that's that's what I'm thinking for Flaherty. I, I'm actually uh, releasing a new IL stash rankings. I have to go 40 deep in the IL stash rankings <laughs> this time. The first time I wrote that article, I only went 25 deep. That was a few oh, years ago. But I can't imagine only going to what, like so many big names get left off. 40 deep. Uh, Flaherty is seventh, I believe. So I still have him high up there, like right next to Mike Trout, who is also... Uh, probably about six weeks away at this point. I think that's probably the next deep dive that I have to do is uh, why are all these injuries happening? I, I don't know if there's any concrete evidence, but obviously, you know, we're coming off a shortened season. I don't know if that any has anything to do with it, but uh, yeah. man, more IL stints than ever before. We highlighted last week, there was a great tweet from uh, Derek Rhodes, who does work with baseball prospectus, that IL placements are up 30% this year. For what reason? I'm not exactly sure. Uh, Sixto Sanchez is one of those players that we've been stashing and waiting for all year long. He has now been shut down due to shoulder soreness. And I don't think I'm overreacting when I say, Scott, I don't know that we're going to see anything from Sixto Sanchez this year. I think it's fair to wonder, but, you know, we're only one third of the way into the year. So there, there's, there's a long way to go. There's a long way to go. Let's, let's keep that in mind. But the problem with Sixto Sanchez is you can't stash him in an IL spot because he's just, he's just in the minors. Yeah. So that, that makes him, it, it makes it hard to wait around for him. 100%. Zach Gallen had a successful 30-pitch bullpen session on Tuesday. He's scheduled for another one on Friday. He's trying to return, of course, from the dreaded UCL sprain in his elbow. Trevor Story received received a clean MRI on his elbow. Evan Longoria is day-to-day with a mild intercostal strain. Ramon Laureano was finally moved to the IL with a strained right hip, retroactive to May 28th. Max Stassi was reinstated from the IL for those who play in two catcher leagues. He's 13% rostered and hit seven home runs in 31 games last season. George Springer ran the bases and took fly balls as he rehabs his quad. Byron Buxton has been sprinting while running the bases recently while rehabbing his hip. Joey Votto started a AAA rehab assignment on Tuesday. We did have four players return to the lineup that we have been waiting on. Jazz Chisholm, Anthony Rizzo, Yuli Gurriel, Yordan Alvarez. So that was nice to see. Uh, Kyle Lewis went to the IL very unexpectedly with a meniscus tear. Lorenzo Cain went to the IL with a right hamstring. Uh, Adalberto Mondesi was out Tuesday after tweaking his hamstring on Monday night. And he's been great since he returned, so it's... Just very frustrating as well. Trevor Larnick and Jorge Soler remain out of their respective lineups, though I did see that Larnick uh, pinch hit in that game against the Orioles. And some interesting outfielders that rejoined their teams because of injury. 
First up, Taylor Trammell, who was destroying the ball in AAA. He was batting 384. He had six homers, three steals, and he homered actually in his first game back here on Tuesday. Abraham Almonte in the lineup for the Atlanta Braves. He was batting 403 with three homers and 1167 OPS at AAA. We kind of know who Abraham Almonte is. He's He's been around for a while. He's 31 years old. Uh, and then Tyrone Taylor. He was another one of those players with a double dong on Tuesday. And uh, he really slowed down, but he, he flashed a little bit early on. And obviously, you know, if you're getting a chance to play every day in the Brewers lineup in that ballpark. It's not a great lineup, but it is a great ballpark to hit in, Scott. So uh, how would you rank those three outfielders? It's more so for deeper leagues, but Trammell, Abraham Almonte, Tyrone Taylor. Now, Trammell's the one I have the most interest in. Obviously, he wasn't very good during his first stint, but when he goes to AAA and puts up numbers like that, it's a reminder of the talent he has. Comes back in Homer's first game back. Uh, there's a chance. There's a chance he takes off from here. I mean, I I think it's funny you say we know who Abraham Almonte is because I imagine the people listening probably are like, who's that? <laughs> but um, That's fair. You know. He's he's been a bit player in the majors before and has had some pretty good minor league seasons in the past. It was interesting. He had 21 walks to 14 strikeouts at AAA, and then he walked two times in his first game for the Braves Monday. Um, you know, 31 years old. My expectations are low for him, but it it's just interesting that that's where they turned to 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 fill the. What, what may be a uh, what, what looks like it's going to be a long term opening in the outfield for them now, um, and I don't imagine Almonte is going to be the last place they turn. But it, it's, I just wonder if they see something in him. I, I brought up I don't know if you were on that podcast last week, but I brought up Drew Waters as a possibility after Ozuna originally got hurt, Marcel Ozuna that is, and. I don't know if the Braves are going to be aggressive with rushing him to the majors, but he's performing pretty well at AAA and obviously a very uh, highly regarded prospect. So I don't know if it's going to happen soon, but obviously a name to put him on your scout team for now. Drew Waters, prospect there with the Atlanta Braves. Uh, Abraham Abraham Almonte, for those who who didn't know, he's played 377 career major league games. He's got a 237 batting average with 18 home runs and 25 steals. So he's been around for quite a while. He hasn't really showed up yet, uh, but he was performing very well at AAA. Definitely a name to look at in NL only, and that's probably it, I would say. Uh, the effect of the new ball. This came from Eno Saris, an article that he wrote over at The Athletic, and it's not really anything that we haven't talked about already, but it was confirmation on things that we have uh, speculated to this point. So I'll just run through some of the tidbits that uh, I noticed from this article. And he was basically highlighting why are no hitters happening at the weight at the rate that they are and points out that the ball has been slightly deadened in the core and the ball is lighter. As a result, it has less spring, which we've talked about uh, comparing April's hard hit balls that were homers over a third of the time in 2019 are now outs over a third of the time this year. In April, because the baseball is lighter, it's spinning more rapidly coming out of the pitcher's hand and pitcher velocity is up. So that's interesting and obviously is a feather in the cap there for uh, for pitchers so far this season, which makes sense. Now, Eno did not say this, but he does imply that sticky substances could be a factor as well. And we actually had an interesting uh, video circulating on Twitter on Tuesday night of, of James Karinchak, his finger sticking to the glove and, and the White Sox broadcast team calling it out. So 
I don't know if anyone's going to crack down on this, but he's not the only one. I've seen videos of John Means doing the same thing with the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, but if you do combine this sticky substance situation for pitchers with the fact that this new baseball seems to be already favoring pitchers based on what I just said, I think that's how we find ourselves uh, with six no-hitters and historically bad offense through the first third of the season here in 2021. Uh, So let's compare the offense from April to May uh, to last season. And batting average, up in May. It was 232 in April, 239 in May. So nice little uptick there. It was 245 last season. Babbitt, 283 in April, 292 in May. 292 BABIP last year. Okay, so BABIP in May was the exact same as it was for the entirety of last season, which was a two-month season. 24.4% strikeout rate in April, down to 24.0% in May. That was 23.4% last season. So I think that's already, you're starting to see some of the difference in batting average. Uh, A 0.6% strikeout rate can obviously make up for some of that. And then home run to fly ball ratio, which I want to continue to track. It was... It actually went down a little bit in May, which I found interesting. 13.4% home run to fly ball rate in April, 13.1% in May. Last year, that was 14.8%. So a lot of the hitters that we've talked about, Scott, where their home run to fly ball ratios are down historically. Juan Soto is one that I was going to highlight today, and we'll talk about a little bit later on. DJ LeMahieu, home run to fly ball rate way down this year. Uh, Eddie Rosario, another one, where the home run to fly ball ratio is way down. I think that is basically the main factor in why batting average has been down thus far is that slight increase in strikeouts and the fact that those home runs have turned into fly ball outs. So I don't know if there's anything else you want to take away from a bunch of information that I just threw at you, but I thought it was interesting. Yeah, I think the home run rate has, you know, that that's the one offensive number that is basically held steady from April. Uh, you know, I was talking about BABIP, how much that's changed, and, and strikeout rate has gotten a little better for hitters in May, too. So, you know, it's it's actually it's actually lower than I thought it was in May. It must have been a bad final week of May for these hitters because when I looked at it before, the batting average was over 240. But even so, definitely much better than April. Uh, but yeah, the home run rate, I, I think, is we have a good idea of what that's going to look like for the full season. And it's it's very close to what it was in 2018 which was still part of the juiced ball era, but considered the tamest year of the juiced ball era, that's still going to mean home runs are pretty prevalent. A higher, An even higher percentage of offense comes from home runs. So the game with strikeouts being out, like it's become even more of a, a three true outcomes game, which is not so great for, for entertainment purposes. But as the weather warms up, as BABIP increases that it will it will seem less so moving forward than it's been so far. And and that was already true for May. I, I'm saying it'll be even less so going forward. So with offense being up in May and, and so far in June, we did see a ton of pitcher regression uh, on this Tuesday, Scott. So I'm just going to run through a few names and you tell me if you're actually worried about any of these. Do we need to drop any of them? Uh, first and foremost, your boy, Dylan Cease at the Cleveland Indians, supposed to be a good matchup here. Three and a third, eight hits, six earned runs. Seems like he kind of got babbipped in this one. The hard hits, the average exit velocity didn't look bad that I saw. Meanwhile, he wound up with a 438 babbip against. So might have just been some unluckiness here for Cease. Yeah, I don't read much into it. The velocity was down 1.2 miles per hour on average on the fastball. The spin was still 
really high as one of the one of the liveliest fastballs in baseball. It's disappointing coming off that ten strikeout effort against the Orioles last time, but I, I still think Dylan sees is somebody excited. I'm excited to have and excited to see what he does for the rest of the season. Michael Pineda was at the Orioles, also supposed to be a pretty good matchup. Three innings pitched, he allowed seven hits, five earned runs. The fastball velocity down just a tad. It had been closer to 92 miles per hour each of his previous three starts. It was just 90.6 miles per hour in this start. He did allow 10 hard-hit balls. Uh, Pineda is still 91% rostered. I don't think we're dropping Pineda or anything, Scott. I think it's this is kind of just who he is. He's, he's going to put up clunkers every now and then. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's also disappointing because he came back from the IL and had one of his best starts of the season. Yeah. So, felt good about getting... You know, if, if you're like me and you tend to 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 give a pitcher in, in Pineda's range in the rankings, you give him, okay, I want to see one start to make sure he's healthy and effective, and then I'll get him active again. Well, that backfired. But yeah, I, I think he's fine in the long run. All right, now this one... Scott's going to run around his house. A little bit of a victory lap here. Uh, and, and another L for me. Matthew Boyd at the Brewers. Four and two-thirds. Five hits, five runs, three walks. He allowed three home runs. The walks are up. The home runs have been up recently. He's now allowed 18 earned runs over his last four starts. That's an 8.02 ERA. Matthew Boyd is still 69% rostered. And I am here to tell you, he can be dropped. Yeah. Well, four starts in a row... With four earned runs or more. Yep. So that, what, what's interesting about it though is, is I thought it was really going to be the home runs that took him down because he's still an extreme fly ball pitcher, and he hadn't allowed that many homers. That that was what was keeping the ERA down. When when fly balls aren't leaving the yard, you know they're the kind of batted ball that's most often going to result in an out. And maybe the deadened ball was helping. Maybe. But it still seemed excessive how how well he was avoiding home runs. And what's interesting is the first three of this bad four-start stretch, he allowed a combined two home runs. So this still wasn't the home runs. But on Tuesday in Milwaukee, three home runs. Yeah, that's that's more like the Matt Boyd we know and love or don't love. <laughs> we know, as, yeah. <laughs> I think that's a good way as, to put as it. it. As it were. Uh, so, yeah, I agree. You could drop him. I, I never rostered him in the first place. Alex Wood, another one. I, this whole group, right? Like, we knew these guys were going to regress at some point. Like, Alex Wood wasn't going to pitch to a sub-3 ERA all season long. But up against the Angels, he allowed four hits, seven earned runs, four walks, over three and two-thirds innings pitch. Didn't allow a ton of hard contact. So, I kind of just want to put this one in the, okay, he had a regression start, but... I still like Alex Wood quite a bit. I'm not dropping him. Yeah, I mean, he entered this start with a career-best swinging strike rate, with a career-best ground ball rate. Even after this start, Alex Wood's XFIP is 328, which is a great XFIP. Honestly, I don't know that I can say for sure he won't have a sub-3 ERA this year because, <laughs> because, of, because he's good at putting the ball on the ground, because when he puts the ball in the air, it's in San Francisco. And people forget the first six years of Alex Wood's career, he had a 329 ERA. You know, it's really just when he started having the back problems in Cincinnati that, like, a, like, like a problem when he was pitching. You know, he was very reliable, at least when he was able to take the mound pre 2019. So, I don't know. I still like Alex Wood a lot. Yeah, agreed. Definitely hold on to Alex Wood. It just seems like a 
a bit of a blip on the radar here for him. Brady Singer. Ah, yeah, yeah. Up against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Five and two thirds, eight hits, five runs. Four of those were earned. He now has a 7.10 ERA over his last five starts. He's 53% rostered. I think a lot like Matthew Boyd, Scott, we can let go of Brady Singer wherever you're rostering, or rostering him. Maybe he figures it out, but right now, I mean, he's just, I think he's unrosterable. I don't, I don't know that the ceiling's that high anyway. Right. You know, I, I think it's kind of Brad Kellerish where when he's going well, he'll, he'll, he'll give you some innings. But yeah, I, Brady Singer's not a big deal. Yeah, just two pitches. I, I went over this last night with Chris, right? And of course, we recommended him as a streamer, so we apologize again. This is two in a row where Singer has let us down. But yeah, he, he throws a sinker and a slider. They were talking up the changeup in spring training. Nothing has really come of that. And it's a sinker that, you know, it's 92-93. Like, it's not a great pitch. So I don't I don't see him getting away with uh, two pitches there for very long, and we're seeing that right now. Chris Bassett was at the Mariners, and while he did wind up with six strikeouts across four innings, he did allow six hits and four earned runs during that time. So just another one where he's been really good, Scott, and I'm I'm holding on to him. I'm not dropping him, but just a normal kind of down start here for Bassett. Yeah, I agree. He was so good in May, 252 ERA, more than a strikeout per inning. Going deep into game, yeah. I, I, I'm not going to abandon him after this start. Stinks that it happened against the Mariners, though. Yep, yep. And th- it that could was, have been a no hitter, and it wasn't. The seven players with double dongs on Tuesday: Jonathan Scope, Odubel Herrera, Andrew McCutcheon, Colton Wong, Salvador Perez, Eric Haas of the Detroit Tigers, and of course Tyrone Taylor, who we already spoke about. I think the most interesting one for me here, Scott, is Odubel Herrera, which. We kind of talk about in passing week after week, but he's just really solid so far. He's batting 270. He's got four homers now, three steals in 34 games. He's 18% rostered. I kind of think that number needs to double at least. Yeah, so obviously he had the two home runs here on Tuesday. And in May, Herrera had a productive month as well. Uh, I believe he hit. Yeah, he had 292 with two home runs, three stolen bases in the month of May. So that's really where he started to get things going. The strikeout rate is low. He, he, and he's got some speed. He's got some speed. He's going to steal some bases. I don't think he's much more than a... has the upside to be much more than like a fifth outfielder. So, you know, I, I think people playing in three outfielder leagues can probably just pay no attention to him. But he he is... He is putting himself back on the mixed league map. Back-to-back three-hit games for Odubel Herrera as well. He has led off in three straight for the Phillies. Andrew McCutcheon has been moved down the lineup, at least against right-handed pitching, because he had a 493 OPS against righties entering Tuesday. Uh, That is Andrew McCutcheon. Scott, anything that you would like to add on McCutcheon, Colton Wong, uh, Salvador Perez, or Eric Haas, catcher for the Detroit Tigers? (laughs) (laughs) Not really. All right. We are going to take a quick break, but when we return, what is wrong with Juan Soto? Not really anything, but we'll quickly run through uh, some of these bullet points that I have, and I'll let Scott react. We'll do that next here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. 
Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So we were receiving emails and tweets. What's going on with Juan Soto? Is he a bust this season? And then he goes out on Tuesday. He goes three for four with a home run, a walk, four runs scored, four RBI. Uh, he was entering this game hitting 270 with averaging 2.7 fantasy points per game. That is outfielder 35 uh, before Tuesday's monster game. So obviously he was disappointing. I'm not going to downplay that. He definitely was. Plate discipline looks completely fine. 17% walk rate, 13% strikeout rate. The ground balls are up. They are always high for Juan Soto. 55% does represent a career high. His 14.3% home run to fly ball ratio represents a career low. Last year, that number was 36%. Again, this year, 14%. Last year, 36% on the home run to fly ball ratio for Juan Soto. That number has never been lower than 22% in his career. So I think regression is coming there. Uh, he has been struggling against lefties. 195 batting average, 703 OPS this season. Entering Tuesday, the home run that he hit came off of a lefty. No surprise because he has been very good against lefties in his career. I'm not worried about that. The only thing that kind of stands out to me is the fact that, Scott, I often say, for Juan Soto to succeed with a high ground ball rate, he has to crush the ball whenever he puts it in the air. Last year, 99.5 mile per hour average exit velocity on fly balls and line drives. This year so far, that's down to 97.9, which is still a great mark, but it is down a little bit. That was, you know, maybe that's contributing to the lower home run to fly ball ratio. Overall, I still think he's going to be just fine. Yeah, I haven't spent a second worrying about Juan Soto. I agree. Like we're, we're getting to the point, basically a week from now is when, uh, is is when 2020 ended, that number of games. So, you know, you imagine what the off-season conversations about Juan Soto would have sounded like if, if this season was only that long. Thankfully, that's not a reality we really have to... That, that, that's not a scenario we have to entertain because it's not going to be reality. And, and I think in the long run, Juan Soto is going to have an amazing year. You know, it's difficult to compare it to, to his 2020 because it being such a short season, Juan Soto was one of those players whose numbers just look unreal, arcadish, you know, because they didn't have a chance to normalize. He hit 351 and slug nearly 700. I mean, this is, he did like Barry Bonds and his prime kind of stuff and that obviously wasn't going to be repeated were we hoping he was a better player than in 2019 when he hit 282 slugged 548 34 home runs you know yeah and and i still think there's a good chance he tops those numbers i i still think he's a better player than that but you know if that's the floor, I don't really think we have too much to worry about. Yeah, I was going to lead this whole entire thing with buy low on Juan Soto if you can, but I just, you know, maybe there are people that are panicking since we're getting as many emails as we are about it, but look, if you can buy low, go ahead. If I'm telling you that if you have him, do not sell low. You should keep the faith with Juan Soto. And it was kind of a weird year for him because he was dealing with that shoulder injury earlier on in the year, and it seemed like the Nationals kind of rushed him back because they weren't playing him every day. They were 
using him as a DH and uh, when they were in American League parks and he was pinch hitting at times. He wasn't playing the field. So I, I think it's, you know, that's probably contributing a little bit to it. But in the long run, run I do think Juan Soto is going to be just fine. Some lessons that we have learned through the first two months of the season, Scott. I'll let you kick us off here if you have a few bullet points, things that you want to hit on. Um, yeah, anything that you've noticed that you know maybe will affect your thinking heading into next year. Obviously, there's still a ton of time for uh, things to get back on track, but uh, a little early season lessons learned. What do you think? So I think the biggest one, and it it, it just goes into the way offenses changes. Offense has changed you know, perhaps mostly related to the baseball. Hitting isn't disposable the way I thought it would be, the way it was the past two seasons where it seemed like whether you played in a 12-team league or even a 15-teamer, it seemed like there was an inexhaustible supply of quality hitters out there. Like, you didn't have to try that hard for hitting if you were just active on the waiver wire, which is why... You know, particularly in like a shallower points league, I went so far as to say just I'll just take good pitchers until they're all gone. But the way the way uh, the environment has changed this year, quality hitters there there's a scarcity there now. You there there is an exhaustible supply. They're not just constantly out there on the waiver wire. So you have to be a little more protective of the ones you have and you have to be a little more active about seeking them out. Um, you know, a lot of my teams built around pitching. A lot of them are doing great still. Some of them are doing pretty poorly though. So I would say uh, if I had known the environment was going to change as much as it has, you know, I might not have been as aggressive going after pitching. But I would also say, like, I don't feel like pitching has become what hitting was. I, I feel like pitching is still pretty scarce, particularly the deeper the league you get into. I think the deeper we get into the season, as offensive numbers improve, as attrition comes into play, which we've really seen a lot of, particularly for starting pitchers the past couple of weeks, I think we're going to see even more of that. I think what's happened is that hitting and pitching have both become similarly scarce, which is the way it should be, right? So, yeah, I think that's basically it. That's 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 a lesson learned right there. Yeah, my number one bullet here is that I overvalued elite starting pitchers, but that might not be the case moving forward for the reason that you just mentioned, that the elite starting pitchers are going to start to separate from some of these mid-tier pitchers that have been overperforming all season long much like the names that we spoke about earlier uh, that had big regression on Tuesday. So uh, that's something I've learned so far about this season in the past, but it doesn't mean that that's going to represent the future either. So that was the first point that I had. I think I had too much faith in the mid-tier of hitters. It's not like the elite hitters have been great, though. Like, that's something I wanted to point out. Like, I'm not trying to make excuses, but outside of Acuna, Tatis, and Jose Ramirez, every, every other hitter drafted in the first two rounds either has underperformed or has been hurt. So, like, we can't predict injuries, obviously, but you can't just sit here and say, oh, well, you know, if I drafted two hitters in the first two rounds, my team would be that much better. I mean, True. what happens it's, if you drafted Mookie Betts and Cody Bellinger? Like, where would your offense be right now? Entering Tuesday, Betts was batting, like, 247, so. Yeah, the teams that are doing well, for me, I happen to pick the right hitters, 
you know, I have like a Jared Walsh or a Shohei Otani or somebody like that. And the teams that are doing poorly, I happen to pick the wrong pitchers. You know, I got Zach Plesak and Zach Greinke and uh, who else? Kyle Hendricks, Kenta Maeda, guys like that. So, yeah, that, that's that's as much as that's as much what it's about as anything. But see, the 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 presumption I had coming into the season was that basically your only chance to to have a competent pitching staff was in the draft. So you're going to miss on some of those pitchers, but that's your only chance to get the good ones. And meanwhile, hitting, you know, you could screw that up completely in the draft and you still piece together a pretty good lineup. And it hasn't, it hasn't gone quite that smoothly. And I'm not looking for an out here, but I do like to look back and, and kind of realize, you know, what went wrong while drafting. And the f- the fact that the environment is what it is, Scott, I mean, we couldn't really predict that. They talked about a baseball and they said what could happen with a new baseball this season, but we didn't really know exactly what that was going to look like. We didn't know it was going to make Alex Wood be, not, not that that's the only thing that's made Alex Wood, but you know, guys like Kyle Gibson and, and all these other pitchers in that mid-tier that have been that great. We, you know, we couldn't really project that. So that's yeah. kind of what feeds into this uh, as well. And, and we're still learning it. I mean, for sure, if, yeah. if April had gone like May, then it wouldn't have been much of a talking point at all. The final two points here, I think they're kind of tie in for me. And I think I want to have more of an open mind moving forward on big upside hitters in the middle rounds. The Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Yes, he was being drafted than, uh, you know, higher than some of these other guys, but, you know, he was going between rounds four and six, I think in most drafts that I saw. And uh, we kind of talked that talked about that as drafting him for his upside. Little did we know. I mean, his upside was a first-round hitter and one of the best hitters in baseball right now. But not just him. Shohei Otani, we knew, had a bunch of upside. Nick Castellanos, who I liked a lot. It just didn't really wind up as many shares as I wanted. Uh, and then names like Chris Bryant and J.D. Martinez, who we've seen be elite-level hitters in the past. And uh, those two in particular, my final point is not to put as much stock into spring training because I, I you know, I was following spring training so aggressively this year, Scott and JD Martinez had one home run all spring. He had like a seven something OPS. I was like, I just think he's done. You know, I, I don't think the power is there. Boy, was I wrong. Chris Bryant, he hit 158 in the spring. I kind of used that as like confirmation bias for myself. It's like, look, Chris Bryant, man, the guy's always heard. He's a shell of his former self. Like he's not good anymore. And then, you know, I let that affect me. So I think that's something next year. It's be more aggressive on those mid-tier high upside hitters and and don't be affected as much by spring training. Yeah, that's, you know, one of my my lessons was actually... um, Kind of similar in a way uh, as your spring training point because, you know, there are there are players who first showed signs of breaking out in spring training and and continued down that path. And then there are players who thought were going to be a big deal based on spring training, like a Logan Webb. Willie Castro. Um, Where's Willie Castro? Willie Castro, <laughs> like, sure. We haven't said the guy's um, name all year. We were all excited about him in spring. Jonathan India, Michael Taylor. Uh, but but the th- so yeah I mean Victor Robles could, by paying by Victor- paying attention to spring training, you probably discovered some players who you're happy with, but you were also misled by certain players that may have influenced your late round decisions. As much as I love John Means all off season, his spring training kind of scared me away. I didn't end up with nearly as much of him as I should have. Yes. So 
I wonder if you come out the same just not paying attention to spring training. I mean, we have to pay attention to spring training. We have yeah. to talk about what's going on. But I, I wonder if you do yourself just as much harm as good by doing that. And in a similar vein, those short season stats. Remember, there was a talk, one of the off-season talking points, the preseason talking points was how much should we value 2020 stats given how short and how weird the season was. And I'm not really sure how applicable this lesson is to the rest of our lives because hopefully we never see a season that is as short and weird as 2020 was. I sure hope not. It, it turns out that if you paid no attention to 2020, I, I think you're not any worse off. There are some players who improved in 2020 or got worse in 2020, and that's basically carried over. But there are many players who it's it, it's like they just picked up where they left off in 2019. I, I, I don't think you came out ahead by putting any weight on 2020. There are certainly specific instances where you could point to it and say, yeah, no, I saw this happened. And so, you know, and now look what he's doing. John Means being a good example of that. But, you know, you look at like J.D. Martinez or uh, Marcus Simeon or on the other end of the spectrum, Mike Yastrzemski. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I just, I don't know that you came out ahead by by putting any stock in 2020 at all. Yeah. And then the other lesson I had here is, you know, I, I kind of had, I kind of took very extreme positions on both starting pitchers and saves, like the, the, taking it to as much of an extreme as I've ever taken anything to the point that I'm not going to draft any saves in some roto leagues and I'm still going to be fine in that category. And it's been in most of the leagues, it's been harder than that. It's been hard. They're, they're, there's been such aggressive bidding on the emerging closers that I have gotten lucky in some leagues getting Yumi Garcia before he, he became a thing getting fire Eisen before he became a thing getting, you know, I don't know, Cesar Valdez or something. <laughs> Maybe he's losing his job anyway, but you know, it's been more of a struggle than I thought it would be. And I'm not saying I'm going the other way and you need to pay up for saves. I still think you really want to fade them relative to the general consensus, but you don't want to go with nothing. You know, you want to give yourself a chance from the get-go. Yeah. Maybe try and get one of the top 12 or 15. That's, that's what I usually like to do. Get one of my, you know, not all the way up at the high end. I'm never going to use a, a top 60, a top 75 pick on a closer, but I usually try to get one in that seven to 15 range. And then, you know, kind of just add on a few names after that in terms of closers. So uh, there you go. A few lessons that we've learned. And I think this is good. And we'll, we'll check back in either a month or two from now and, and see how things have changed there. But uh, specifically for the spring training, I think that's one that we really, really have to remember and, and hammer out for uh, next season. Cause it was kind of a rookie move. If we're being honest here, we have about 10 minutes left and we have a bunch of action that happened Tuesday. So I am going to just rapid fire. I have a bunch of leftovers, tidbits and anything that you find interesting, Scott, just stop me and we'll talk about it. Yuan Moncada went two for three with two walks and all of a sudden he's batting 301. The power hasn't been there for Moncada, but he's actually having a pretty good season there. So uh, nice to see that. Ahmed Rosario, we spoke a ton about yesterday. He went one for three with a walk, two runs scored, and his fifth stolen base of the season. He is 21% rostered. And I kind of think he needs to be rostered, Scott, in any 
league that has a middle infielder where you might need some speed. Okay. I, I, I hear that argument. I personally don't think he's very good. <laughs> uh, and I, I think it's going to be a situation where you're, you're giving up a lot to get that speed. And based on his history, he's not even that prolific of a base dealer normally. Maybe it'll change with Cleveland. But that, that's, his history is that he hasn't been. Who would you rather roster as a middle infielder, Rosario or Jonathan Scope? Mm, depends what you need. I think they're both pretty fringy. Yeah. One's power, one's speed. Uh, Shane Bieber up against the White Sox. Seven innings, three runs. He allowed all of those in the second inning and then really settled down. He had 16 swinging strikes on 103 pitches. And he threw first pitch strikes to 20 of 27 batters. That's street, three straight games with a 69% first pitch strike percentage or better. He did allow eight more hard hits, but I thought Bieber on the whole was pretty good against the White Sox. Your mean Mercedes went 0 for 4, and this comes after a May where he hit just 221 with a 619 OPS. Scott, do we need to continue to hold on to your mean Mercedes? I would like to. I think somebody in your league should have him. It, it, it gets tricky if you already have your utility spot filled by something else. Um, but... Really where his May cliff dived was after he hit that three-run homer on a 3-0 count off a position player and and uh, Tony LaRusso wasn't happy about it. From that point to the end of May, he hit 167. Thanks. So I don't know. <laughs> Thanks, Tony. It's just a coincidence. but <laughs> Yeah, no, I, he still has good plate discipline and I'm not ready to give up on him. Trey Mancini went two for three with two more RBI. He's batting 284. The stat cast numbers this season are actually way better than they were back in his breakout 2019. So you'll love to see that from Trey Mancini. Bruce Zimmerman, where did this come from? He was up against the Minnesota Twins. Five and a third, two earned, seven strikeouts. He had 19 swinging strikes on 87 pitches. Ten of those were on the slider. He's only 3% rostered. Scott, anything to see here with Bruce Zimmerman? There may be because he was a pretty good minor league pitcher throwing, pitching with much less velocity than he's showing now. He's averaging about 92 miles per hour on a fastball. You know, for being a left-hander, that's not so bad. And he was a legitimate, like, soft tosser in the minors. And remember, Zimmerman was one of those guys who, you know, didn't get a lot of hype in spring training, but, you know, he he had us all kind of scratching our chins a little bit, like, hmm, wonder if there's something here. I'm still wondering that, but I don't think he's, it's not time to pick him up in mixed leagues or anything yet. Yeah. Don't add Bruce Zimmerman, throw him on the scout team. I think that's probably the most that I've ever said that those two words on a podcast, but uh, do it with Bruce Zimmerman. Tyler Glass now at the Yankees, seven innings, three runs, eight strikeouts. He has now gone six plus innings in nine of 12 starts. Love it for Glass now. Austin Meadows. I was talking yesterday about how I was so worried about his fly ball rate, and every time I say something bad about the guy, he just shuts me up. So uh, I'm just going to keep saying bad things about him. Austin Meadows with a sock and a shoe. His 13th home run, his second steal of the season. He now has four home runs in his last five games. Uh, Miguel Andujar has homered in back-to-back games and has started six of the last seven for the New York Yankees. He is 11% rostered. Anything there, Scott, or just in the deepest of leagues for now? Uh, I hadn't noticed how much he was playing, I'll admit. I think his, the, the offensive skill set's pretty interesting. Uh, he needs to get his 
contact rate up. He's been striking out a little too much. And his, his game relies on him putting the bat on the ball a lot. Uh, but I guess there's a path to playing time here. So put him on the scout team too, Miguel Andujar. <laughs> the scout team, the theme of today's podcast. Uh, Miguel Andujar, just a reminder for those out there, back in 2018, he was great. 297 batting average with 27 home runs. He's dealt with shoulder injuries since then and um, has just not had consistent playing time. So maybe he can uh, make something of it now. Aaron Nola and Max Freed both had... Um, Pretty meh starts, Max Freed even more so than Aaron Nola, but I noticed that their ground ball rates were both way up in those respective starts, which is a welcome sight because um, both of them were struggling to get ground balls so far this season. Patrick Wisdom, he now has five hits, including two home runs over his last two games with the Cubs. He's 2% rostered. Scott, anything here or just an only? Well, with Rizzo back, Bryant's going to... Spent, you know, Bryant, Bryant had been playing first base with Rizzo out, so there's less room for Wisdom now. Wisdom's not a young guy. He's had a couple 30 homer seasons in the minors, but never for much average. Never hit for much average. So I'm, I'm not thinking there's really anything there. All right. Uh, Clint Frazier, another got to get my Yankees in. Nine hits over his last eight games, including one home run and two steals. He's 40% rostered. I don't think you need to act on this yet, but uh, when Clint Frazier gets hot, you know, he's someone that can stay hot for a pretty long time. So just monitor that situation. Another three hit game for Lourdes Gurriel, who is now batting 397 over his last 15 games. He's up to a 260 batting average overall. Robbie Ray was awesome on Tuesday against the Marlins. Six innings, one run, nine strikeouts, only two walks. 22, 22 swinging strikes on 96 pitches. The ERA is down to 3.57. The whip is down to 1.14. You know, poor Adam Azer, man. The guy predicted, one of his bold predictions last year, was that Robbie Ray would finish top three in the Cy Young. (laughs) He was just off by one year, Scott. Robbie Ray's having a great season. Well, he's probably not having a top three Cy Young season. That's to be fair. fair. <laughs> that was especially bold, that prediction. But, yeah, no, no, Robbie Ray's been great. Robbie Ray's been great, throwing a lot more strikes, still missing a lot of bats. Does give up some hard contact at times, but I, I think you'll I think you'll accept that trade-off, and uh, this is the best Robbie Ray we've seen since that great 2017 season, I believe it was. He's pretty close to must-start at this point. I moved him. Uh, did I move him into my top 40? Right around there in my starting pitcher rankings. I did something very similar. I have Robbie Ray at uh, SP43. You have him at SP36. Look at you, Scott. Very aggressive there. I like it. Uh, Kyle Hendricks up against the Padres. Six innings, three runs, zero walks, four strikeouts. He now has quality starts in five of his last six like to see that from Kyle Hendricks. Tommy Pham stayed hot, one for three with his fourth home run. He had a pretty solid May, 253 batting average, 797 OPS. He was one of Scott's sleepers this week, so coming through thus far. Uh, Garrett Richards at Houston, six innings, two runs, four walks, five strikeouts. The ERA is down to 3.75, Scott, but it's kind of deceptive with Garrett Richards. He's walking a lot of batters. He's not getting a ton of strikeouts. I think it's kind of fool's gold for now. Yeah, you basically said it. That's oh, it. right. And, nothing to add. <laughs> Andrew Benintendi went two for five with a grand slam. He's batting 291 with five homers and six steals. He's 67% rostered. Scott, does that number need to be higher? Three outfielder leagues, Benintendi, must roster? 
Hmm. I just dropped him in the podcast points league, which is a 12 team points league with three outfielders. So uh, you're welcome right. for sparking Benintendi. And there's shallower leagues than that. I mean, yep. there's a whole there's a whole 10 team world out there that probably play with just three <laughs> outfielders. So I don't. I, it sounds about right. I I don't think there's a stud outcome for Benintendi. He's been he's been a lot better than I thought he'd be. But we're still talking about you know a 15 homer, 18 steal pace. Like that's that's very that's solid. That's very that's solid. solid. If he if he pulls that off with a 290 plus batting average, that's a that's a very good season for Benintendi. But it's. Yeah, I mean, if he can if he can sustain this place completely, he he might he might matter in three outfielder leagues all season long. But I I I still see him as pretty fringy. Fair enough. Herman Marquez up against the Rangers, seven innings, one run, two walks, seven strikeouts. He has a quality start in four of his last five. He's eighty two percent rostered. So if Herman Marquez was dropped in anyone's league, Scott, you got to pick him back oh. up. I contributed to the dropping of <laughs> Herman Marquez in a 15-team league. Ooh. Yeah. So well, me with Benintendi, you with Herman Marquez. Uh, maybe I guess like he's not a very good strikeout pitcher, and half his games are at Coors Field. So I'm, I'm not sure I need to be that broken up about it. But he is. He he has had a nice three start stretch here with a combined two earned runs. I will point out those matchups were really good. I think one of those was against the Mets when their lineup was completely depleted. He went up against the Diamondbacks for one of those. So pretty good matchups, but Herman Marquez is taking advantage of them. Speaking of the Diamondbacks, Eduardo Escobar, another two hit night, at least that might've gone up, but he is now batting 306 with four home runs over his last 15 games. So finding some consistency with Eduardo Escobar. Anthony Rendon went two for five with a double and five RBI. Signs of life. Very welcome. Andrew Heaney at the Giants. Six and a third. One run. Seven strikeouts. uh, 73% fastballs. His ERA still reigns at 4.76. So we know who Andrew Heaney is. He's very inconsistent, but he is capable of doing this at times. And the legend, the living legend, Scott, John Gant. Six shutout at the Dodgers. Four hits. Three walks. Four strikeouts. The guy has a 1.60 ERA with a 1.52 whip. There's going to be there's going to be reconciliation there. That's my word for John Gant. Reconciliation. So you would not, not be rushing out to pick up John Gant. What would the conversations be like in the offseason if this is where John Gant's numbers ended? <laughs> Pro- probably be like he's not good, but we would probably yeah. make the same mistakes that we did in ranking Marco Gonzalez as high as we did. <laughs> <laughs> um, but John Gant is 28% rostered, and he has SPARP eligibility. So it is actually worth mentioning in points leagues. You might want to pick him up for that reason. The call to the pen, some bullpen updates for Cleveland. James Karinchak picked up his seventh save, but it was not all that easy. He has now allowed five earned runs over his last three appearances. Emmanuel Class A had worked the previous two days, so... Probably was seven, seven earned runs in his past five appearances for Karen Shack. And he, his ERA is almost three now. All right. Which, so, I mean, it sounds like a good ERA still, but it was microscopic before then. Yeah, I think uh, I think he's blowing his big chance here. Yeah, it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Frank Kona went back to Class A for the for the save chances. Yeah. So if you play in any category, roto league. With saves, you should 
Hold on to Emmanuel Class A for now. Let's see what happens there. For the Baltimore Orioles, Cesar Valdez was used in the eighth inning to face the bottom of the lineup. Cole Sulser, who did save a few games for them last year, he was used in the, in the ninth to face the heart of the lineup. Uh, he picked up his first save of the season. Sulser has a 1.74 ERA in 18 appearances this season. Cesar Valdez has been struggling. Uh, Sulser is only 1% rostered, so he's widely Sulcer. available. See the thing you what you're this is not, you should have just ignored Cole Sulcer in 2020 and gone back to your 2019 opinion, which was I don't know this guy exists, right? Because <laughs> if you had come in fresh with Sulcer, you might have been stashing him away as a prospective closer for a while now. His numbers this year have been amazing. Cole Sulcer, 13.9 K per nine. It's awesome. Yeah, and and like w- with a significant workload, one seventy four ERA, one hundred two WHIP, thirteen point nine K per nine. So, I actually, in my pursuit of saves in Tout Wars, which is the league I've struggled in most to uh, to make up ground in that category, I almost I had a bid in to pick up Solcer, just like eh, maybe he's the guy who replaces Valdez. Now I might be too late. I will point out as many people pointed out to me, that Paul Fry has been very good for Baltimore this year as well. He is a left-handed pitcher, and he has been used in higher le- leverage situations than Cole Sulcer recently, but he had pitched two days in a row, so I think he was probably unavailable on Tuesday. But remember the name. It could probably be a situation like every other bullpen where if there are lefties up in the ninth, they go to Paul Fry. If there are righties, they go to Cole Sulcer. Uh, but if you want to speculate, I think you can do so on both because they've been really good. For the Cubs, Craig Kimbrell picked up his 13th save of the season. I think there's a lot of stuff going on in this Mets and Diamondback situation right now in terms of bullpens. And let's see what happened. Edwin Diaz blew a save, his first blown save of the season. He allowed three hits and one run. Trevor May came in in the in extra innings in the 10th. And then he blew the game, so he allowed uh, two runs there, and he took the loss. Uh, Joaquin Soria looks like he was used in the... Eighth. Crichton was used in the ninth again. Ooh, all right. So, Stefan Crichton, he's not dead yet. Yeah, it wasn't a save, obviously, but it was a tie. So, yeah, that seems like how a closer would be used, but they, they have not been using Crichton consistently that way over the past couple weeks. Let's wrap up with to stream or not to stream, and we will start with Wednesday. Shane McClanahan at the Yankees, Adbert Alzali versus the Padres, David Peterson at the Diamondbacks, Randy Dobnak at the Orioles, Drew Smiley versus the Nationals, and Carlos Martinez at the Dodgers. Well, I would say, I mean, the pitchers with the good matchups are not really the ones I want to mess with, so I'll go McClanahan at New York. Alzali versus San Diego. And Peterson at Arizona? I think that's the right answer. But it's not really the right answer. David Peterson is never the right answer. There are no right answers. (laughs) I do like Shane McClanahan and and Adbert Alzali quite a bit, though. So Thursday, to stream or not to stream, Jake Odorizzi versus the Red Sox. John Gray at home versus the Rangers, where he has been very good this year. Tyler Anderson versus the Marlins. Chris Bubich versus the Twins. Griffin Canning versus the Mariners. And Justice Sheffield at the Angels. 
You know what I say about the Mariners, right? Griffin Canning against the Mariners. He might throw a no-hitter. So you got to go with him. And uh, probably John Gray versus Texas. And do I don't it. know. Do it, Scott. Miss, Mr. Anderson. Oh, no, no. I'm, no. You can't Tyler do Anderson. it? He's, he's out of the circle of trust, Tyler Anderson. Not that he was ever really in it, but yeah. he was... He was kind of he was kind of walking the border. He was what is it called when you walk a circle around something? I forget what that word is. Uh, I don't know. Who's your final uh, one here, Bubich? Yeah. All right. I will say Tyler Anderson. Famous last words for Scott. I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye bye.